Welcome to the Jankiest Podcast featuring two of the jankiest people in the Magic the Gathering community, King of Jank and Undying MTG. This is Hour of Jankest Station. Revenge is a meal best served cold. Hey, what's up everybody? Eric here and today on Hour of Janka Station, we are going to be discussing the post Theros Beyond Death release draft guide and talk about some things that you should be on the lookout for with these cards going into your draft. And unfortunately today, Josh is not with me as he has some personal things that he has to be tending to. So I'm hoping also at this point that I did not lose about 50% of you guys. So with that being said, what we're going to be talking about is not only tips, but also cards that we need to be on the lookout for. So that way you guys have a better idea of how to approach this set and that way maybe it makes it a little bit easier for you guys when you're going to be drafting cards and trying to figure out how you should actually be building your 40 card deck. So to start things off, we're going to be talking about 10 tips that will help you on your journey going into limited format if you are a noob or even if you do have some experience, maybe some of these tips will help you into kind of thinking outside of your personal box per se, and try to have a different look at how to go about approaching things. So to start things off, we got with tip number one, we're going to be talking about what we should be doing. And I feel that you should make a deck list, like actually creating a deck out of uh, 40 cards, rather it be peasant or pauper style, meaning using just commons and uncommons, because in limited format, that's primarily the basis of your deck. You will have some rares and mythics potentially, but chances are we're going to be primarily using commons and uncommons. So if you make some decks, I would say just uh, just for the sake of conversation, we'll say make five decks, right? And try to use different color combinations because with drafting, you're not necessarily going to have what you would per se want. Like my personal play style is I absolutely love using white, black, and then some blue for rather it be Demir or... Uh, and then I also use it for sometimes Azorius if I'm using for flyers because Azorius flyers in most limited uh, formats as sets have been coming along. Usually Azorius flyers or any sort of flyers is a really good styled build to try to have in the back of your mind. But make those decks so that way you kind of give yourself a guideline of what to really expect as you're going about drafting and make sure it's realistic so that way you know like, okay, I definitely will have a chance at seeing these cards as cards are being passed to me. And this, when I say cards being passed to you, of course, I'm talking about in paper. And then if you're playing on Arena, you're just kind of going off of whatever the randomizer gives you. But still, you'll have the opportunity to have those cards in the back of your mind to be like, okay, I can build X, Y, Z. So as you're seeing cards coming your way, you'll have a better understanding of how to digest what's in front of you, not feel quite as flustered, and make a precise decision on what you should put into your library. I also just wanted to touch on real quick that MTGO is the best simulation in regards to digital when it comes to limited format as you will actually be drafting with live people in real time. So 
the stuff that you're going to be applying from paper, you will definitely be using on MTGO because it's not like Arena where you're just going to be having a random pool of cards and then the randomizer just gives you, you know, random cards as you're picking. You're literally going to be choosing cards that was passed over to you from a player prior. Which brings us to tip number two, which is don't always feel like you have to grab a high dollar mythic rare just for the sake of pulling it in digital, I should add. Unless you feel that your build is pretty well solid or it's early on in the draft. And what I mean by that is if you still are looking for cards that you really need to synergize well as far as making a fully functional deck, sometimes you might want to just pass up on the card. And I know some of you might think that's a stupid thing, but here's the thing. You want to win games, okay? So if you win games, especially on Arena primarily, you're going to get rewarded based off of however many wins you have. So let's just say you pull a Mythic, but you're probably not going to use the Mythic for anything what's the point in pulling it if you're going to end up losing because you could have actually pulled something that you could have used in your build. Now, that being said, if you are paper drafting, you bet your ass that you should snag that high dollar card up because you'd have to be a complete idiot to just pass up on something that's like, you know, over 10 bucks and, you know, you paid, I don't know, some places it's different, but let's just call it 15, 20 bucks for a draft depending on how your store runs your draft league but yeah i would definitely in paper snag up whatever mythic or higher higher dollared rare comes my way and then going into tip number three sometimes drafting a card that you don't necessarily need but you don't want your opponent to have is a great defensive strategy so what i mean by this is if you see a card that you might not necessarily be able to use, but you look at it and go, oh my god, like I don't want to see this on the opposite side of the table coming at me. You know what I mean? So by snagging that up and just not allowing somebody else to use it, that's a good defensive strategy because you're weakening potentially what plays your opponents can have. And then also, I mean, if you're playing in paper, you're just adding to your collection and then you could potentially use it for something else. Now, going into tip number four, we're going to be looking for creatures that have flying, death touch, and or lifelink as the creatures hold solid advantages in limited format. Because more often than not, at least for myself, I can't speak for everybody here, but at least for myself, I can say that the decks that I made that consisted of flying, death touch, and or lifelink creatures, I had way more success than I did just using any sort of random build that just had random creatures that had either certain ETBs and or you know other abilities. Those three abilities for me tended to outweigh some of the other stuff that could have been potentially going on in my build. Now going into tip number five, we're going to try to stick with no more than two colors, especially if you are a newer player. The reason why I say that is because as a newer player, it's going to be hard enough to try to just deal with two colors, let alone trying to deal with three or even four in limited format because you only have 40 cards and then the vast majority of the time you're going to be just using basic lands unless you're lucky enough to find either a mana rock of some kind or having a dual land of some kind. But chances are you're going to be using basic lands and 
that's really about it. So trying to push for more than two, it's going to make it really hard on you. So again, just for newer players, I would definitely suggest to stick with no more than just two colors for your build. Going into tip number six, do not be afraid to just get commons or uncommon cards over a rare if it fits the build you are going for and you can afford to pass on the current rare available. Now this kind of coincides with tip number two, but what I mean is, is say that there's a rare card and you're like, okay, that's a decent rare, but I would prefer to have said common or uncommon because of what it can do for your deck and you know, trying to, to look at the long-term goal as far as you winning games, just go that route, go with your gut, because in the end, you want to win your games. You don't want to just get a rare to be like, oh, there's a rare, I'm going to go snag it up, okay? So again, don't be afraid to pull the trigger on getting those commons and uncommons if you know that it's going to benefit what you're trying to build. So going into tip number seven, if your deck doesn't have any flyers in it, be sure to have some non-creature spell cards to deal with them in your pool as a safety net. The reason I say this is because more often than not, in any limited tournament that I've been a part of on MTGO, because that's primarily where I do my drafting, there's been always at least one person that tries to make their deck surrounded by flying creatures. So there's been times that I personally don't have any flyers in my deck build based off of what was handed to me. So I try to make sure that I have removal, rather it's just destruction or exile, just anything to, to rid of the flying creatures that we necessarily can't block because my, you know, mine, or in this case, your creatures, if you're drafting, your creatures might not have reach or flying. So you have to make sure that you are equipped with answers to deal with those types of cards because if you don't, chances are you're going to end up losing your game and or your match. Now, going into tip number eight, we're gonna not be afraid of drafting those higher CMC cards as a lot of those games can get grindy and those will come in handy in the latter stages of our game. So those cards that we necessarily wouldn't use in 60 card play because they're just too expensive or they just don't do enough for us given the CMC, they will come in very, very handy in limited format. And we will talk about some of those options after we finish up our tip list here. So going into tip number nine, we're gonna make sure to have at least two to three cards that allow us to get some extra card draw because we don't want to top deck too early. So we want to try to have something that either allows us to, you know, draw cards based off of our creatures dealing combat damage or just a non-creature spell that just says, you know, when you play this spell, you either draw one card or you draw two cards, etc. You know what I'm getting at. Because with us only having a 40 card deck and then after our initial hand draw, we're going to have 33 cards in our pool. So we want to try to make sure that we can maximize our plays and having that extra card advantage, you know, even though I know it sounds like a no brainer, it's going to help you to keep control of the board state and put some pressure on your opponent. So that way you're not just top decking and then they know they can kind of do whatever they want based off of what potentially could be 
a board state that tends to go in their favor versus yourself. So that way, you know, you're not feeling the pressure of the top deck because Lord knows we've all been there and it completely sucks. So try to make sure you have some card draw in your deck. Now, going into our last tip, this can be just due to my own personal play style, but if you draft blue and you want to go with dual colors instead of just playing mono blue, use black or white. And then why, you may ask? Because go back to number four. You're trying to look for creatures that have flying, death touch, and or lifelink. And most of those creatures come in the shape of those three colors. Now, green would be the only other option I personally would prefer if I were to splash anything else with blue, especially with the Theros Beyond Death set. There's a lot of good Simic synergies that I can see in this uh, set, and I think that that would be the only other option personally for me. I think red is probably the weakest, I feel, just based off of looking at it. I've only gotten to draft maybe a handful of times and uh, with Theros, that is. And I just felt that with the red cards that were available, trying to do like mono red or something like that, or even just trying to splash red with blue, I just, in my opinion, I didn't think it would be very strong. So I felt that out of the color choices available, I would optimally go with white or black, and then green would be my other one because green, again, does very well with blue, and I think in this set it definitely synergizes well. And that is what I have in regards to just 10 tips to try to help you have a different angle on how to approach limited format. So now we're going to be getting into the meat and potatoes of the Theros Beyond Death cards and try to look at some cards to keep an eye on or to try to potentially build around for your limited deck. And I think that some of these cards have a lot more potential than what people might think at first glance. And I'm not saying that all of them are all-stars by any stretch of the imagination, but as a limited player, you really have to think outside the box on how to use these budget-friendly options that are at our disposal. So the first card that I have here is Al Seed of Life's Bounty. So one drop, one white, one one enchantment creature nymph with lifelink, and you can pay one colorless to sacrifice it, and then target creature or enchantment you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. So not only does this thing have lifelink, but this has the potential to protect one of your creatures from removal if some you know your opponent's playing something that says like destroy or whatever rather be destruction burning all that good stuff so you can sacrifice this give it pro whatever and it negates what your opponent is trying to do and i just think it's a fantastic one drop card to consider when making your deck next we have is chain web arkner i think is how you pronounce that god i'm just terrible at pronouncing these things but i think that's what it is arkner it's a one drop green one two with reach and then when it enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature with flying and opponent controls. And then it also has the escape ability of you pay two green and three colorless, and then you exile four other cards from your graveyard. And then when it escapes, it comes in with three 1-1 one, one counters on it. So I brought this one up because not only is it a great one drop, but it also has that potential to either block a flyer because it has reach, 
or if it gets removed, you can bring it back with the escape ability, and then you can potentially rid of a flying threat on your opponent's side of the board because it's going to be coming in with those three 1-1 counters, so that's going to be four damage that's going to be able to deal, and with most flyers, not saying all, but most flyers, will have a toughness no greater than probably four, unless it's one of the Sphinxes that, you know, that's going to be a hefty drop that's somewhere between the five and seven range. But I feel for a one drop, this thing is great for the format. Next card we have here is Eidolon of Philosophy. It's a one drop blue card. It's one, two. It's an enchantment creature spirit where it has the activated ability of you pay one blue and six, you sacrifice it to then draw three cards. I felt that this would be most suited, uh, better suited rather, in a green and blue build. So that way you can try to get some extra ramp going and try to use this ability faster. And then not only that, but this would be a great later game play. So that way you can draw into three cards to then continue doing whatever it is you're trying to accomplish to get to the goal of winning your game. Hateful Eidolon is our next card. It's a one drop, one black. It's a one, two enchantment creature spirit with lifelink. And then whenever an enchanted creature dies, we're going to be drawing a card for each aura we controlled that was attached to it. So note that it does not say an enchanted creature you control dies. It just states whenever an enchanted creature dies. And then if any of our R's are attached to it, we then get to draw a card for each one that is in fact attached to said creature. So if you're using those enchantments that are pretty much like a quote unquote curse styled enchantment for your opponent and it does stuff to your opponent's creature rather it's similar to a pacifism or uh, you know just anything more or less that negates whatever the creature is trying to do or has some sort of a negative effect when that creature dies you get to draw a card for however many auras you had attached to that creature pious wayfarer is our next card here it's a one drop one white it's a one two human scout with constellation of whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under our control target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn and for limited format this is huge and also seeing that theros block or theros block theros beyond death rather is consisting of not only a bunch of enchantments but also enchantment creatures this would be a great card to have and then there's also some enchantments that have flash so you're able to play those cards to give something plus one plus one for a temporary buff to block something to potentially rid of a threat that your opponent has so i just feel that keeping this one in the back of your head when trying to go about constructing a deck is something to definitely consider our next card is going to be Ephemia the Cacophony. It's a two drop, one black, and one. It's a two one legendary enchantment creature, Harpy with flying. And then at the beginning of our end step, you may exile an enchantment card from your graveyard. And if you do, you're going to be creating a two two black zombie creature token. And I felt that this was noting because it is, in fact, a rare card. So chances are you probably aren't going to see it. But I feel like if you do, and based off of whatever build you're actually trying to accomplish and you're going enchantment heavy, this might be something to consider. So that way, if your opponent does in fact remove the enchantments that you currently have out on the board, you can kind of get something out of it by exiling them to then get two, two zombie tokens, which, you know, over time could overwhelm your opponent potentially and then also use those guys 
as some blockers as well to potentially take care of some other threats that your opponent may have out on the board. Bronze High Line is our next card coming in. It's a two drop, one green and one white. It's a three, three cat with the ability of paying one green and one white to give it indestructible until end of turn. Then also when it dies, we're gonna be returning it to the battlefield and then it's an aura enchantment with enchant creature we control. And it has quote, you pay one green and one white and then enchanted creature gains indestructible until end of turn. And then it also loses all other abilities. I personally love this just for simple fact that it's a two drop three three and in, in limited format that is huge and then the ability of being able to give this thing indestructible is just nuts because you can also use it as a blocker to block something that might be really big and if it doesn't have trample you can just activate that ability if you have the mana available to give it indestructible and then it lives to see another day. Destiny Spinner to me is like a no-brainer for any sort of green build, so it's a one green and one colorless for the cost. It's a 2-3 enchantment creature human with creatures and enchantment spells we control can't be countered. Then it also has the activated ability of pay one green and three to have target land we control become an XX elemental creature with trample and haste until end of turn where X is the number of enchantments we control, and it's also still a land. I just felt this thing is huge, especially for the format, and it being a 2-drop, I mean, having a 2-3 two, for 2 in limited is good enough, let alone all the extras that come along with this thing. Hero of the Pride I felt was worth noting here. It's a 2-drop, 1 white, and 1 colorless. It's a 2-2 two, two cat soldier, and then whenever we cast a spell that targets Hero of the Pride, Creatures we control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. Because in limited format, having something like this can be definitely detrimental to your opponent because if, if they're not careful and just say that they're trying to just do the math and they're like, okay, I can afford to not block three creatures and then I'll be at, let's just say for the sake of conversation, they'll be at three life. And then they go with no blockers and then you just pop like a, an aura or that has flash or just like an instant spell that's like a temporary buff to something. Your creatures are going to get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. And notice that it says creatures, so not other creatures, meaning that the hero of the pride will also get this buff. Elysian Carotid is our next card, and I felt this would be huge for any green build, especially Simic. So it's a one green and one colorless. It's a 1-1 one, one creature plant where we can tap it to add one mana of any color. And then if we control a creature with power four or greater, we're going to add two mana of any one color instead. And I just felt this would be huge again because we want to ramp, obviously, with green. And then having this as a dork that produces whatever we want is crucial in limited format for whatever we are trying to do with dual colors or even potentially three colors. Lamped of Death's Vigil, I feel, is one to note here. It's a two drop, one black, and one. It's a one three enchantment creature nymph with the ability of we can pay one colorless to then sacrifice a creature, and then each opponent loses one life, and then we gain one life. I felt that this card be between the mid and latter stages of each game we play as long as this thing's out and we have a good amount of creatures out on the board at least I'd say three to make it worth doing here 
Say we swing in and we need to do something just to get a little extra damage in for lethal. We can use this ability if the mana is available to us to sacrifice creatures to ping until we can get our opponent down to zero. Nessian Hornbeetle is another one that I think could be an unsung hero to any green build. It's a two drop, one green and one. It's a two two insect and then at the beginning of combat on our turn, if we control another creature with power four or greater, we're going to be putting a 1-1 one, one counter on the beetle. So even if, say, our, our creatures don't have necessarily a base power of four, even if we're able to temporarily buff them to get to the point to where their, their uh, power is at four prior to going into combat, then our beetle will get the plus one, plus one counter off of the trigger, and then we're able to swing with whatever our creature would potentially be at due to the buff. Nessian Wanderer is just a huge card, in my opinion, for the limited format with green. It's a two drop, one green, and one. It's a one three Seder Scout, and then whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under our control, look at the top three of our library, and then you may reveal a land card from among them, put it into your hand, and then the rest on the bottom of our library in a random order. Who doesn't want this in their deck, especially if you're building green, because with the limited amount of cards we have in our deck, like I said, after your starting hand, you got 33 in the library, you're going to be able to sift through, get as many lands out as possible, and then you're just going to be doing play after play after play until hopefully you can win out your game. Protein Thaumaturg would be one to keep an eye out for in the rare slot. It's a two drop, one blue and one. It's a one one human wizard with the constellation of whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under our control, we may have Protein Thaumaturg become a copy of another target creature, except it has this ability. So if your opponent has something on their side of the board, that is a threat to you. You can always make this a copy of it if you are running enchantments, obviously, in your deck. So that way, they might question actually swinging at you because they don't want to necessarily give up the creature that they have out on their side of the board. And then not to mention, even if our opponent loses control of said creature that's copied by the Thaumaturg, it will still be a copy of said creature. Temple Thief, I felt, was worth noting here, and it is a two drop, one black, and one it's a two two human rogue, and then Temple Thief can't be blocked by enchanted creatures or enchantment creatures, and seeing as Theros uh, Beyond Death, the set, has so many enchantment creatures and or creatures that potentially will be enchanted on your opponent's side of the board, this thing could do some work for you because it would be unblockable. And then who doesn't want the option to have an unblockable creature? So at the very least, I feel if you're building black, you should put this in your pool just in case, at least it's a sideboard option, if your opponent is running an enchantment heavy build. Towering Wave Mystic I felt was worth noting here. It's a two drop, one blue and one. It's a two one Merfolk Wizard. And then whenever it deals damage, target player puts that many cards from the top of their library into their graveyard. And I just felt this was worth noting for any blue build if you're looking for something that could disrupt what your opponent is trying to do. Not necessarily saying you're trying to mill them out, but it doesn't hurt for you to top deck them into their graveyard and potentially rid of any threat that could happen to you in the mid or latter stages of your game.
Eutropia the Twice Favored is an amazing three drop card. It's one blue, one green, and one. It's a human wizard. It's a 2-2 two, two with the constellation of whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you're going to put a 1-1 one, one counter on target creature, and then that creature also gains flying until end of turn. That to me is just huge. And again, touching on, I felt that blue and green would be very strong together with this set. And the other thing here we're looking at is it's putting a counter on something, not even a temporary buff. So it's getting a permanent 1-1 counter, and then it also gives it flying until end of turn, which again, like we discussed earlier, having anything with flying in this format is huge. Nadir Kraken, I feel if you get this card and you're not even playing blue, you have to get this card out of the potential draft pool because it is a three drop, two blue and one. It's a two, three Kraken with whenever you draw a card, you can pay one colorless. And then if you do, you put a one, one counter on the Kraken. And then you also create a one, one blue tentacle creature token. So like I said, if you aren't playing blue, you do not want to see this on your opponent's side of the board because it is just going to be a menace to you and just wreaking havoc. And then not to mention, you're, they're going to be producing tokens on top of this thing getting bigger. But if you're playing blue, this is a no-brainer for you to draft this baby and put it into your build. Stessen Champion is an awesome three drop as well and I feel if you're doing green and you're also going to be doing enchantments you have to have this in your deck. It's a three drop one green and two. It's a one three human warrior with the constellation of whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under our control we're going to be putting a one one counter on this and we're going to be able to draw a card as well. So not only are you going to be buffing this thing but you're getting that extra card draw which we're definitely wanting so that way we can just keep ramping up our creatures based off of whatever our build is but with green chances are we're going to be going creature heavy and again with this particular card you're going to want to make sure you got enough enchantments to make this thing worthwhile to have in your deck build daybreak chimera i felt was a huge card to have it's a common it's a five drop two white and three it's a three three and then this spell costs x less to cast where x is our devotion to white and it also has flying so again how good flying is in this format is key and then with this card it's going to get cheaper to pay for the cost based off of what we already have out on the board so let's just say turn one you play a one drop white and then say turn two, you play something like Daxos that has two white, right? So now you're at three for your devotion. So going into turn three, you only got to pay two, and you're going to have a three, three with flying. And again, in limited, that is huge. I can't record this podcast without talking about Gary. And for those of you that do not know who Gary is, that is Gray Merchant of Asphodel. It is going to be key to most black builds, I feel, as a late game bomb. It's a five drop, two black, and three, two, four zombie, and then when it enters the battlefield, each opponent is going to lose X life, and where X is our devotion to black, and then we're also going to be gaining that much life. So again, if you see Gary hanging around and you're building black, you got to pick that thing up. And then also, if you aren't even building black, but you see Gary out there, you got to make sure to snag him up so that way you're not seeing it used against you on your opponent's side of the board. Reverent Hoplite, I felt, would be a good one-of in any white build. It's a five-drop, one white, and four. It's a one-two human soldier, and then when it enters the battlefield, we're going to be creating a number of one-one white human soldier creature tokens equal to the devotion we have in white. 
And I just felt, again, just having like a one of. And then obviously if maybe we're doing mono white devotion, this would be a thing to have. If you're doing dual colors, I'm not quite sure I would be sold on putting this in your build. But again, if you're going mono white, I would definitely consider to throw this thing in there. And then again, playing it late game on your turn five. If you have it, you could potentially have a bolster of 1-1 one, one white soldier tokens out on the board for you. Shoal Kraken is another card I feel that we should keep an eye out on. It is a 5-drop, 1 blue and 4, 3-5 Kraken with the constellation of whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under our control, we may draw a card, and then if we do, we have to discard a card. And again, I can't stress it enough that card advantage is definitely something you need to consider when making a build because you don't want to top deck yourself. And having something like this lay game could definitely help you out because if you're playing enchantments and you have something like this, you're able to draw. And then if it's something that you don't want or you don't need, like say a land at this point, if you're able to play the crack and you probably don't need another land. So you could chuck the land and then just try to get into something else. So just again, show will crack and keep that baby in the back of your mind when going through your draft cycle. Victory's Envoy, I felt, was a huge rare to have in limited format. It's a five drop, two white, and three. It's a three, three human cleric. And then at the beginning of our upkeep, we're going to be putting a one, one counter on each other creature we control. So if you were to hypothetically here use this with the hoplite that we were talking about earlier that creates the one, one tokens, you could essentially have a bunch of 2-2 two, two tokens at the beginning of your upkeep once you play this if the hoplite was out the turn prior. So this I felt was something to keep in the back of our heads. And I also preferred this in a more Selesnia style build where we're able to get it out quicker versus actually having to wait until turn 5 to get this thing out on the battlefield. Witness of Tomorrow's was something I felt we should keep an eye out on. It's a common 5-drop, 1 blue and 4. It's a 3-4 flyer. It's also an enchantment creature that's a sphinx, and it has the ability of we can pay 1 blue and 3 to then scry 1. So again, even if we're not able to per se draw a card, having that scry ability I feel late game could help us out so that way we could draw into something that we would really need and having that scry to see what our next draw could potentially be would definitely help us out in the latter stages of our games brine giant is the next card we're going to be talking about it's a seven drop one blue and six it's a five six giant and then this spell costs one colorless less to cast for each enchantment we control so clearly this has to be put into an enchantment heavy deck if we're trying to get this out before turn seven so I definitely think this is something to consider in those enchantment style builds and being able to get this out, let's just call it turn four at the earliest. If say we're playing Simic and we have a little bit of ramp going on or you know the carotid dork or something like that to just cheapen the cost. Uh, I just felt having a five, six out in the format is something that you should definitely consider when going and choosing what cards you want in your pool. Then last but not least for our creatures, we're going to be talking about Sphinx Mindbreaker. It's a 7-drop, 2 blue, and 5. It's a 6-6 six, six with flying, and then when it enters the battlefield, each opponent puts the top 10 of their library into their graveyard. So 
This isn't per se something to use for a mill deck, but if you put this thing out on the board late game, and depending on how many cards are in fact in your opponent's library, they might actually end up scooping because they might feel they don't have a chance at coming back in the game. So again, Sphinx, Mindbreaker, keep that in the back of your head. Again, 6-6, and it's a flyer, something that you should definitely want to have at least in your pool. So now going into some of the non-creature spells that we're going to be talking about today. Now this isn't going to be all of them, but just some that I wanted to bring to your guys' attention. So the first one we have here is Mystic Repeal. It's a one-drop green where we're going to be putting target enchantment on the bottom of its owner's library, and it's also instant speed. So hypothetically speaking here, if our opponent ends up pulling out one of those, you know, god cards or something like that, and they just use all their mana to put it on, they're like, yeah, guess what? I got my super sweet god out on the board. You could go one drop and go, yeah, I think that should go on the bottom of your library. And chances are that's the only copy they have in their deck. So you probably will not see that card for the remainder of your game. So next we have here is Sleep of the Dead. It's a one drop sorcery tap target creature and then it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. And it also has the escape ability of one blue and two to exile three other cards from our graveyard to cast this spell. And if we were able to do this in back-to-back -back turns, our opponent would probably not be too thrilled about that. If you're playing black, you should consider drafting Agonizing Remorse. It's a two drop, one black, and one. It's a sorcery where target opponent reveals their hand, and then we choose a non-land card from it, and then... Uh, or from their graveyard rather and then we're going to be exiling that card and then we also lose one life so this is like the poor man's thought sees except for we can also target something from their graveyard but the key here is is that it's not just you know obviously put in the graveyard because uh you're exiling it so which to me is actually better and then in limited format i feel that exiling something especially if it's like a one of in your opponent's deck could be key. Remember when we were talking about having non-creature spells to deal with flying creatures? So here is one to help you in case you don't have any flying creatures, which is Gift of Strength. It's a two drop, one green, and one. It's an instant target creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains reach until end of turn. So if your opponent swings in with something thinking that you have no response to block it, you can pop this baby off, buff up your creature, and potentially kill whatever flying creature your opponent has out on their side of the board. Glimpse of Freedom is a card draw card that we definitely should consider putting into our pool if it comes up in our draft. It's a two drop, one blue and one. It's an instant where we can draw a card and then it also has the escape of pay one blue and two and also exile five other cards from our graveyard. Meyer's Grasp is something to consider, not only just for removal, but also something to synergize with that Hateful Eidolon, because it's a two drop, one black and one enchantment aura where enchanted creature gets neg three, neg three. So if you're able to remove said creature, that's going to also trigger the Eidolon, so that way you are able to draw a card. Omen of the Sea is probably one of the best common enchantments in this set. It's a two drop, one blue and one, it also has flash, and then when it enters the battlefield, we're going to scry two and then draw a card. And then we can also pay one blue and two to sacrifice it and then scry two as well. I mean, what more could you ask for with this particular card? Because 
you could get ETB effects off of it on your opponent's turn because it has flash. And then not only that, but for limited, being able to scry two is insane. It's almost like scry three because your library isn't as big as what it is in 60 card. And then you're also going to be drawing a card afterwards. So if you don't like any of the two cards that you scryed, you have the potential to draw into something else. Phalanx Tactics is something that I felt could be huge late game. It's a two drop instant, one white and one, where target creature we control gets plus two, plus one until end of turn, and then each other creature we control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Revoke Existence is something to at least consider putting into your pool because it's a two drop, one white and one sorcery where we're going to be exiling target artifact or enchantment. So again, going back to the gods, in case your opponent gets lucky and they pull one of those coveted god cards, we can use this simple common card to say, you know what, I think I'm going to exile this baby. Citizen Training is a great aura card to have on hand. It's a two drop, one green and one, where it uh, enchant creature we control and it enters the battlefield and we're going to be drawing a card, which again, that is key. We want to be able to draw into something and continue to play cards. So enchanted creature gets plus one, plus zero, and, and then it also has trample. Staggering Insight is probably one of the better auras out of the entire set. So it's a one blue, one white for the casting cost, and then Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one, and has Life Leak, and then it also has, quote, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So again, card advantage is key. And then the other thing, too, is that since it's an enchantment, it's going to potentially do some ETB things based off of any other creature that might have a Constellation ability and all that stuff. Starlit Mantle, I felt, was worth noting here. It's a two-drop, one blue and one with Flash, and then you Enchant Creature we control, and then when it enters the battlefield, Enchanted Creature gains Hexproof until end of turn, and then it also gets plus one, plus one. So anything that we have out on the board that has an ETB off of enchantments coming in or... Uh, anything where our creature could get buffed off of enchantments coming in and then it also gets buffed again off of this giving it plus one plus one could be crucial to our overall play. Dreadful Apathy I felt was a an interesting aura card here so it's a three drop one white and two and then we're gonna enchant creature and then it can't attack or block and then it also has the activated ability of you can pay one white and two to exile enchanted creature so, again, going back to the gods, we can enchant one of the gods if they are, in fact, a creature. Then we can exile them by paying that uh, activated ability cost of the one white and two. Hydra's Growth is a great aura card. It's a three drop, one green and two. And then when it enters the battlefield, we're going to be putting a 1-1 one, one counter on Enchanted Creature. And then at the beginning of our upkeep, we're going to be doubling the number of 1-1 one, one counters on the Enchanted Creature. So if this baby isn't dealt with soon in the matter of two or even three turns, whatever creature this is on, it could be swinging for the fences and potentially dealing lethal to our opponent rather quickly. Oh, I hope I pronounced this right. Uh, Ictiomorphosis. It's a three drop, one blue, and two. It's an aura where we're going to enchant creature, and an enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a blue fish with base power and toughness zero, one. So going into the latter stages of your game, potentially your opponent might have a big creature out there that you really have no answer for. 
And if you have this in your hand, you could put this on said creature and then potentially remove it because it is, in fact, a 0-1 creature. And last but not least, we have here is Inevitable End. It's a 3-drop aura, 1 black and 2, where Enchanted Creature has, quote, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. So say you're going up against a deck where they have some hexproof out on the board or potentially indestructible. Uh, you could put this on said indestructible creature that does not have hexproof, and then your opponent will eventually have to sacrifice it, or if you put it on a creature that is tougher than a creature they may have that has hexproof, they will then sacrifice a creature with hexproof until they inevitably have to sacrifice the creature that has this enchantment on it. That is all I have today, folks, for going over limited format cards and or tips that you might leave here today with. And you can find myself at UndyingMTG on YouTube. You can also find me at UndyingMTG on Twitter. And I do have an Instagram that I just rebooted for the channel. I don't have anything on there just yet, but you can follow me at UndyingMTG on there as well. And you can find Mr. Josh when he is alive and breathing at the King of Jank on YouTube and then King underscore of underscore Jank on Twitter as well. And I hope that I didn't bore you guys too much just going over cards and not really cutting up any jokes like Josh and I usually do in between. I just felt like I was wanting to give you guys some info and insight on how to approach limited format and I hope that some of the information that I gave you guys was useful and if you could hit the sub button for me on YouTube and follow me there as I got deck text, gameplay, commander streams, and other stuff that I'm trying to do on there. I'd greatly appreciate it and I will see you guys either on the next podcast or I will see you guys in a video or a stream on the channel. Thank you so much for listening, everybody.